Hey, you. Come over here. Have you ever imagined that you were some sort of ninja, techno viking, dragon slayer? Well, if you have, this is the episode for you. Even if you haven't, this is still the episode for you. Today we're going to talk about imagination, immersing oneself in fictional worlds, and we're kind of generally just going to nerd out. So please enjoy this episode of Casual Cognition. buddy here we go again we got another good one coming fun one yeah this one's uh i i would i would uh wager to say that we haven't had an episode like this yet no no not quite like this it's a it's a special one and um i especially like this topic because it's like it's important and I think people should get into it if they if they haven't tried tried it before but it's also like completely superfluous to like yes. your <laughs> your basic survival needs there's absolutely no reason why you'd ever need to partake in the things we're going to talk about today but you definitely should yeah it's uh this is definitely not an episode for like practical DIY life hack people <laughs> like <laughs> this is uh this is a lot more soft i would say soft yeah. soft skills here soft skills well Nate i mean you've been you've really been hyping this whole thing up what are I've we been, talking I've been, about today i've been beating around the bush <laughs> yeah um so we're going to talk about uh, first. The first topic we're going to talk about is imagination, and we're going to kind of roll it into a general conversation about um, fictional worlds and some like just some real nerdy shit. Hank and I are into some some fun um, geeky stuff. And we thought that it might be fun to share it with you guys and share why we find it valuable and why we think that people should try to check something like this out if you haven't already. And it's kind of a... I think it's become a little bit more popularized these days thanks to television. Um, And this gets into our first topic of imagination. Because imagination does take a certain level of effort. You kind of have to maybe not like build everything, but there's there's a there's definitely a, a a sort of like effort that you put into it on your end, and then there's also kind of a letting go and letting your uh, the classic term of letting your imagination run wild. Yeah. 
And um, I think you and me, whenever we're reading or listening to a book, we get that effect of it kind of playing out in our heads. But like if I'm listening to a book and I get distracted by something, that that imagination movie stops. Hmm. And sometimes I'll, since I listen to audiobooks, usually sometimes I'll like rewind it or whenever I read actual books and I get distracted, I'll just go back, obviously. But I think it's um, become a little bit more popular these days to get into some of this stuff because there's the low effort option of watching a, a Game of Thrones or a Star Wars, which mm. are super cool, but it, it kind of takes the the effort out of it. And so then the effort becomes like commentary and meta around it. Right. So which is in itself, then you're like not really using your exactly. imagination anymore. It's like, that, it's kind of like a substitute. That's my point is that people are getting into this stuff without what I think is one of the crucial aspects of it, which is the imagination part of it. Because for me, whenever I am, um, listening to a, a fiction audiobook I'm really into sci-fi um, and I'll get into it a, a little bit later but I'm particularly a Warhammer fan and I enjoy reading or listening to their fiction novels and um, when I am listening to a Warhammer book and walking my dog or doing my commute or something. Um, to me, it's like a healthy distraction. It's a healthy escape. Like, I'm not running away from the things I need to do. Usually I'm driving to and from work or to and from a job site. Or, you know, I'm walking my dog, I'm getting exercise or... Um, Sometimes I'll do it while I'm doing I'm I'm doing like some kind of easy but tedious art type of thing. Um, whenever I'm laying down foundations for painting or um, filing off mold lines for modeling, and it gives me a way to like get into another space and 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 sort of let go of the stress and you know whatever else is going on in my life that I, that I'm not real happy with while also not not like running away not, I'm not like being an uh, I'm not I'm not avoiding my issues I'm just using this like fiction world that I'm really into to get my mind on something else and obviously it's a um if it's a military science fiction book, it's going to be a more um, serious read. It's not going to be like a, something that, you know, is, is really upbeat and happy. But for me, the act of listening to it and getting like getting my mind off of the, the stuff that is running in there that doesn't need to be there anymore, it makes me really happy. So if I'm in a bad mood and I'm, you know, I had a real bad day, I can go out and, and, and escape to this other world for 30, 40 minutes while I'm exercising, walking my dog. And mm. by the time that's over, I'll, I'll feel good. It'll be kind of a clearing effect on my mind. 
and I'll be able to to get back to whatever I'm I'm doing that afternoon um, with a clear head and not being so frazzled by the day. So that's just kind of a basic example of of why I think the imagination part is important. Yeah, I mean, so so it kind of seems like the two first topics are really going to be bleeding into each other because that they're very related, obviously. Yeah. But I thought uh, one thing that would be cool to explore is like, you know, the, the idea, because it's really interesting that we're all, as you mentioned, imagination has become almost like a, or I, I wouldn't say it's a buzzword right now, but it's there's more people are looking at it more deeply now and starting to realize how beneficial it actually is. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is like we all, every single one of us used to have a amazingly vivid imagination. We could build entire universes in our heads we were making up games we were ma- we were making up realities in our minds as ch- as children and of course we took ideas things that we liked from different um different mediums like for me uh, i remember i i played this game that was largely based on the video game diablo diablo 2 and I just, I loved the aesthetic of it, and I loved the, some different mechanics in the game, and I brought those into into my world that I created in my mind with my friend. And we're just running around in the forest fighting demons and ogres, and, uh, you know, we have our swords, and like, and we were, you know, you kill some epic monster, and it drops some amazing loot, and you're like, oh my god, these are the gloves that I've been looking for for <laughs> Meanwhile, the gloves you just of my up ancient like ancestor. <laughs> That's uh, great. I, I did that. I loved doing that as a kid. I, I yeah. always did that as a kid, and it was like my favorite shit to do. And I, you, you, you really hit it, man imagination is I was actually going to say before you said this that it's almost considered like something that's for children yeah and it's either for children or for like professional artists those are the only two people that are it's acceptable to yeah have like it's... wide swathes of imagina- imaginatory time yeah, it's weird because with adults, they usually call it like creativity <laughs> or something like that. And then with kids, it's like, oh, yeah, little Billy's so imaginative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The guys the guys who are making, you know, George R. R. Martin when he makes Game of Thrones, that's just the creative process. It's creative genius. But when little Billy's out battling demons in the forest, that's just, oh, he's got a he's got an act of imagination. Yeah. Oh, he'll grow out of it one day. <laughs> yeah. I hope not. Honestly, yeah. have you tried? Have you tried doing something like that in your in your adult years? Like doing doing an active imagination like RPG scenario. You know, I I if it, when my first response was to say yes, but I can't think of anything as um 
as an adult, maybe like in my in my late teens or something for a goof, but I I can't say that I've tried it as an adult and and um that actually makes me sad. I need to do that. Give it a go, dude. I I've I've only done it once and it was so fun, dude. It was obviously it wasn't as like vivid because I you know, and and I I do think that imagination you know, some people never lose it. Some people hang on to that thing for fucking dear life because it's the only thing that can keep them sane. Mm-hmm. Uh, others, I think it's trained. It's trained out of us a lot of times. Um, our education system does not... Im- imagination is not a word that exists in our education <laughs> system. It's completely... some. Sometimes I mean they're starting to catch on to the idea of creativity, which is obviously huge. But ima- imagination is a whole nother level of creativity where you're creating completely in the confines of your of your own mindscape. Uh, it's a fascinating. Up, the only thing I want you to imagine in my classroom is an essay to turn into me on Friday. Now get back to your desk. No more of this nonsense. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, something, something, <laughs> standardized tests. <laughs> something, something, America, education, bad. <laughs> um, but no, I, 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 I agree that um, there is a an amount of of kind of like training it out of people, but I also think that there's an atrophy aspect to it 100 percent, and that's that's another thing that i wanted to say uh that i forgot about because we we fell into the the shitty american education (laughs) why hole but yeah that that idea of it like being a muscle right so it's not like oh i have no imagination i'm just a fucking i'm a robot now and i just do my tasks and then i eat and sleep yeah. Uh, and shit, but it's actually something that we can we can train it, and it comes back. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's like anything that you you haven't done since you were eight. You know, if, if yeah. you if you if the last time you rode a bike was whenever you were eight, you know, they, as they say, you you know, you never. It's like riding a bike. You never really forget. It's like, yeah, but if you haven't done it in 25 years, you're going to get on there and be really shaky at first and be like, whoa, what am I doing? But Especially you know, if the last time you ride, did it, you were still developing your motor skills and yeah. your coordination. Yeah. And which if you're in, you know, doing imagine imaginative stuff whenever you're a child, um, even though that energy is really strong, yeah, you don't have a fully developed brain yet. Then, so, you know, with the with the bike example, once you get into the ride, you you find that oh yeah, that it does come back. I I do remember how to do this, and um, I think that the the thing that keeps people from getting into that with imagination is there's like a little bit of a stigma to it, like you feel mm. childish. People don't feel right. childish for riding bikes typically. Some people do. Some people are a little feel a little embarrassed by doing stuff like that. But typically I think people don't aren't embarrassed from riding a bike. People are often very embarrassed by the the thought of 
playing into their imagination and imagining worlds and and um pretending mm. that's that's another especially acting them out yeah yeah I, I that's why i like i love the word pretending because whenever i was a kid that was such a good it was a good word like yeah, oh yeah i'm going was... out pretending <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> like that meant like i'm going to do something in my imagination and act it out pretend i'm yeah. doing something now as an adult oh, if i'm pretending that's a bad thing right <laughs> you're pretending it's interesting that shift right yeah. so so we are, you know, consciously or not, we are as a as a society saying, okay, when you become an adult, pretending is no longer okay. Yeah. And of course, you know, it gets a little there's some crossed wires because we have these ideas of uh authenticity. Yeah. Which I think get a little mixed up because I think, you know, in the context that we're talking about it, you can be pretending and authentic at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but like the, you know, maybe, maybe the personality structure that you are inhabiting during that pretending time is not in confluence with your regular everyday egoic structure, which like you could say is not authentic, but if, being i don't know it's kind of like a weird paradox i dig what you're getting at i dig what you're getting at because to me what that what that's saying is that pretending the bad pretending is as you're saying inauthentic you're you're um you're faking a part of yourself in order to get something out of someone else but if you're pretending in the childlike way you're not trying to get anything out of anybody. You're just mm. doing it for fun, for play. Right. It's purely so intrinsically it's a, motivated. So it's actually the exact opposite where and you kind of hinted at this. It's extremely authentic because mm. you're, in, in fact, I would say the inauthentic thing is denying that part of yourself. Right. So giving into your imagination and letting it flow a little bit and, and not judging yourself for being fun and silly like that, that is is tapping into a real deep level of authentic authenticity. Hmm. Yeah, it's actually it's just really interesting because you know it kind of brings me to because I wanted to give give the folks listening some different ideas for how they could practice this muscle and and one of the things that I thought of. Uh, which is it's actually a shamanic practice Ooh. which is to um, pretend I mean you know you could you could think about it in a few different ways but basically um, like inhabiting the the state of like a certain animal and mm. becoming that animal so from yeah. our perspective it's pretending or you could think about like like trying to as best you can imagine what it would be like to be a certain animal and then manifest uh those like behaviors and movements and feelings and sounds into your or like and channel those through the human body uh so i think there's something very interesting about this kind of active imagination and how there are actually, you know, if we look at it from the from the shamanic idea, like there are actually survival benefits 
to doing practices like that. Oh yeah, you're I more likely to be successful as a human being uh, through practicing that specifically that type of active imagination, and I'm sure a bunch of other different kinds. Oh yeah. Well, I got, I got something for for what you were just saying. And I realized that I I had forgotten to bring this up whenever we talked about um, taking care of animals and stuff, plants and animals. And uh, it actually fits in perfect here. Whenever I was working on the horse ranch, my mom, growing up on a horse ranch, my mom had taught me this very specific method of, of handling horses on the ground. And um, I think the, I think there's a bunch of different subgenres these days. I think whenever she was getting into it, it was a little more new. But the when whenever she was getting into it, it was just called natural horsemanship. And she she taught me a lot of these techniques and methods. And when you really broke it down, what you were doing was you were mimicking the movements and sounds of the horse so that it could recognize your body language. And after doing this for many years, uh, while I was working on this horse ranch, I I knew very well how to do this. And I I used to joke that I could talk to horses. And you really can't. Yeah, I was about to say, like, that's no joke. (laughs) No, and and people would, you know, people kind of take it as a joke. And no, you really can. If you if you learn how to do these um, a lot of these movements, and it, it's it's more like a dance to us than a language, but to yeah. the horses, it's a language. And you oh, don't and have real all quick, the body li- what? Real quick, what people don't realize is, oh, I wish I I wish I had a strong, uh, I, I wish I knew the percentage precisely but it's staggering how much of our communication is body language like it's it's a majority of our interactions and the information that is communicated is mm-hmm. communicated through body language it's a tiny little fraction on the very top of the iceberg that is the actual vocalizations and the words well of course yeah because especially if you think about it as like to- like um I don't even know if it goes into tone and everything, but body language is like by far how we communicate the most. And then there's mm-hmm. a little little cream on top is like the the language that we've invented. But yeah. continue. Well, imagine how much a, of a percentage the horse's body language is. You know, yeah. it's, it's almost entirely. There's like a few vocalizations that horses can make. And hilariously, most of the body language of herbivores is especially odd to us because we're used to carnivores. Um, mm. Cat and dog body language and, and herbivore body language is often opposite. Interesting. So if you look at a cat or a dog, when they're being submissive, they put their ears back. Right. And their tail goes down. If a horse puts its ears back and starts wagging its tail, you're about to get bitten or kicked. Hmm. That means I'm fucking pissed. Get the fuck away from me. Yeah. And 
I've seen a bunch of people think that the horse putting their ears back is like a dog putting their ears back. Right, like, oh, it's so cute. Yeah, and then they go up and the horse is just like, <laughs> bites them. <laughs> and they're yeah. just like, what the fuck? Yeah. And um, there is so many, like, nuances to the horse body language. And like I said, after doing it for so many years, I got really natural at it. And um, I used to have some of the the older ladies that kept their horses there. They used to watch me with these um, these badly behaved gildings, um, sometimes stallions, although I usually wouldn't do this with stallions because it's just so dangerous. But um, there's this one particular gilding, which is a, a neutered male, and um, the lady who was, like, training it, she was telling me, she's like, I only want you in this particular horse pen because he's really dangerous and you need to be really careful with him. And so I was expecting, like, you know, a dangerous horse. There's a couple of, of, of dangerous horses that I was dealing with at that time. And so I went in there real leery. Luckily, this was a, a very big pen. And he comes up to me. And the first thing he does is he starts being aggressive to me, but not in, I shouldn't say aggressive, he starts being dominant to me, but not right. in an aggressive way. He's showing you, showing you who's boss. Um, and I didn't put up with it. So the first thing I did when he comes up to me is I actually, I, um, I turn around, turn my back to him, and I, I take my head and I throw it back, I toss my head back, and then I stomp my foot. And that shows to the horse, you come up on me like that again and I'm going to kick you. Because mm. horses kick back. So right. when they're pissed at another horse, they turn their backs on him. Getting ready to right. kick. Yeah. So I turn my back on him. And the the trainer yells at me. She goes, he's going to bite you. And I was like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and he he doesn't bite me, but... He comes up and he puts his head over my shoulder and he kind of like, like kind of tries to toss me a little bit, trying to kind of shoves me. And then I, I take a step forward and I, I donkey kick his ass. So I reach back and, you know, the, the kind of power you can generate with one of these little kicks would feel like somebody like, like a flick on the air. It was. It would be so light comparatively. So no, people listening to this don't think that I'm hurting this horse. Um, and actually, most of the time, you don't even need to make contact with them. It's the movement that you're doing that really tells them what, what's up. Um, even a horse kicking another horse oftentimes doesn't really hurt it that much. Um, unless they have shoes on. And horses, like a, a horse kicking you can fucking cave in your rib cage. They can kick ridiculously powerful. So a human kicking in this way isn't going to hurt it unless you like hit a really sensitive spot. But I'm hitting it in like the flank or the, or not the flank, the, um, the chest or the, or the butt or something like that. And so I, I kick him and he doesn't even know what to do. He, he steps back. And he, he kind of like tosses his head, he looks around, and then he runs around the pen in a big circle, and then he runs up to me again, and I, I, I don't turn around at him this time, this time I just th toss my head and stomp my foot, 
and he backs up a little bit, and then he puts his head down towards the ground, and his tail stops, and he comes up to me with his head down, and that means, like, he's coming up to me in a submissive way. Yeah, so that would be similar to, like, a dog. That would be, like, yeah, yeah, that would be the submissive pose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But his ears are up. They're not flattened. Yeah. And he's not tossing his tail. His tail's tucked down. Yeah. Um... And then, when, so when he does that, I um, there's a certain part about halfway up their neck, right underneath their mane, that if you scratch that part, horses will scratch that part on each other, and it's it's like them giving affection to each other, and it, and it feels really good to them. It's like their their little sweet spot for for scratching. Yeah, like scratching a dog behind their ears. And so I start scratching that part on him, and that's telling him like yeah it's okay we can be friends I just don't want you coming up to me like that yeah and after that he reaches up and he starts scratching me behind my neck and like Mm. giving affection to me and after that little episode he was like super friendly to me and there was a couple of times whenever he was extra excited that I had to discipline him a little bit but I, I took care of him for months and he was really really good and according to the trainer he was too dangerous to to deal with for most people and i was like no all you got to do is like a good first impression that's all it took yeah all of that was simply because i was able to basically pretend i was a horse for a little bit right and i love that approach and it works for most animals it works for dogs and cats yeah pretend absolutely that you're that animal especially with the body language yeah it will respond yeah, that was one thing I, I'm gonna try not to rant too much about this, but yeah, sorry, I went off on a tangent, but it's no, fine. it's all, it's all good, bro. Uh, this is we're we're not. This is this is not strict. Yeah, this is a loose dialogue. Week. This is this is it's ambiguous casual. points. This is ambiguous <laughs> points. This, this is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Uh, this is inconsequential it, dialogue with is, Hank and Nate. <laughs> this is this is babbling incoherently. <laughs> oh yeah, that was the that was the other. One. <laughs> oh, but yeah. So I wanted to say that, that, like, I wanted to bring this up. You know, I, I this is such a this is such a problem. I mean, it's not a big deal, but like, so many people treat. Well, it's it's there's two things that bother me. One is like treating an animal like you would treat a human being. Mm-hmm. So you know, some see that all somebody, the time. yeah, <laughs> like somebody they have a dog who's like doing something. Uh, wait, sorry, what did you say? Uh, sorry, I, I got a little, I got a crossed wire there. Um, so you have a dog that's that's doing something like wrong in the owner's head, and then the owner's response is to like give the dog a a like speech on like how it's how it's you know be, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, like just like talking about like how many times have we gone over this? Like, I and you know maybe <laughs> the, it knows something based on your the tone of your voice that is like, oh okay, I did something wrong because, 
and then like I don't know it's and of course it's like fun to do that but I think the worst is like because then there's also this thing People about get upset that their animals don't understand their words exactly and they're like how many times do I have to explain to you why you're not allowed to pee on the floor it's like you don't like you're it's never you're gonna understand by you explaining the logical reasons why it's not gonna do that there needs to be like a very direct uh it needs to be pretty much instantaneous um response what also like needs behavior. to be something that they'll understand they don't understand exactly like like when dogs want to discipline other dogs they don't bark at them and they don't like hit them in the face or anything either. They're <laughs> no, not gonna they like slap them. These things, yeah. No, so it's completely yeah. baffling. And well, that to me is is like a. It's obviously just an ignorant thing, but it's also a lack of imagination because people can't think of another way to express their anger other than yelling and hitting. Right. And you know it's. There is, there's just better ways to do so many things that just require a little bit of thought, a little bit of creativity, a little bit of imagination. I agree. I mean, another another one uh, that we could talk about a little bit, which is super cathartic. I know like people have probably heard about this a bunch, but have never done it, which is this idea of like, if you have a, if you have a problem with somebody, like a serious problem that you want to like, you uh, have very strongly negative feelings towards them. Maybe you want them to be seriously injured or die or you hate them or whatever. Like, have you ever actually tried just imagining that that person is a pillow and just beating the shit out of it? <laughs> Dude, I'm serious. I, I, <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I did not expect that. Dude, it's the it is it, it is it a just, cl- I thought it, I thought you were gonna say something like technique. Like, have you ever just ima- like tried to imagine how they feel or something like that? <laughs> no, no, no. Beating them up is a pillow. <laughs> that I'm was unexpected. You, I'm I'm telling you, and and you don't even necessarily need to like project a human being onto it, but I know that it's really really therapeutic for people, especially people who have uh, been abused or like have really. Uh, really like hateful feelings towards uh other human beings it's it can be really really powerful to be able to actually release that anger uh especially if it's causing you problems like you know because because you depending on where you're at you can you can move through that without you know going you acting it out but a lot of times we need to kind of act out the anger to be able to loosen uh, loosen it and by imagining the person being there and just like like imagine murdering somebody like i know that this is like people are gonna fucking Jeez, try bro. to lynch me for this <laughs> but like dude think about it man i mean this is the thing like 
we we like to pretend that we're no, living we're in a I'm society. Call the authorities after this conversation. Dude, we like to pretend that we're so fucking enlightened and we're so <laughs> peaceful and all this shit. But dude, we're fucking monkeys, and yeah. we are we are we are a millisecond away from being in a murderous rage. Like if somebody if somebody tries to kill you, like you you're there immediately. We're animals. Uh, and to just pretend that that's not there and to go, oh, my God, you're so fucking violent and fucked up is like, dude, you're pushing down some shit that like if you really believe that you're you're repressing some seriously primal and powerful parts of of the human experience. And it's it doesn't go away. Maybe maybe we can forget about it, but it's fucking there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've I've not done the pillow um the pillow projection <laughs> but i've definitely gone like ape on my bed when i was just uncontrollably angry and just kind of like classic like kid temper tantrum like hammer fist yeah. in my bed <laughs> because yeah. i just didn't know what else to do and i was so angry Dude, it's uh, the, the thing that the thing that really makes me sad is that that's like completely not allowed in our society no. like and it made you me are... feel a lot better afterwards yeah and i felt and, a little to, silly like, but it it was yeah. like, yeah, I needed that. And there was nobody around to watch it. Yeah, and that's the thing that's so fucked up is, like, there's so much repressed anger. Because, of course, like, yeah, if you're angry, it's better for all of us if you don't, if you don't exercise that violence on another human being. Like, that's, I think we can all agree that that's, like, generally the way to go. Yeah. Um, but it, it really makes me sad that, like, yeah, like you're not allowed to do that. Like you're a weirdo for doing that when you're really just completely overwhelmed with rage. So what you're supposed to do instead, and of course, you don't, I mean, you don't have to always act it out, but what you're supposed to do instead is just, okay, just push it down and just pretend it's not just there and cool. just keep smiling. You're supposed to be civilized. And, and keep being nice. Keep being nice. I'm nice. I'm nice. That outburst was rather uncouth. I don't want to yeah. see another of its like in my home or outside of it. Yeah. So, yeah, people, just imagine the darkest, most horrifying things that you could imagine yourself <laughs> doing, and then maybe you won't do them. Just yeah. maybe. I... I... I know we took a weird turn here. I never yeah, thought we would go. Yeah, it's a little bit go... of a weird turn, but um, I no, never I thought we I... would go there. But isn't what do you think about that? Well, you know, I I have a little bit of a problem with getting angry like like that, and I don't think I have a repression problem as much as I have like an, a a release problem. So, um, like if I'm angry, I can. I can deal with it. I can express it on my own and I can I can tactfully express it to others if I need to. Mm. But I have a problem with it just kind of sticking in my brain mm. and like bleeding into other activities. So somebody will really piss me off um, at work or something. And 20 minutes later, I'll be screaming in traffic and I'll, you know, not want to talk to somebody on the phone or something like that. 
So mm. it, it just like it rustles my jimmies and they remain rustled for for a uh, extended period of time. Right. Even Wait, if do you think what what if you imagined yourself beating the shit out of that person while <laughs> suplexing a pillow and like <laughs> and, See, and choking it out? <laughs> that's where I, I think that like I have to kind of control that impulse because mm. I naturally get into that like violent anger even though I'm I'm for y'all who don't know me I in the last fight I got into was in like 8th grade like I do not I don't get into confrontation with people I don't like even the idea of hurting another person but whenever I get into these bad angry mind states I, I kind of naturally fall into that, like, man, I wish a motherfucker would. I'm going to give him these hands, man. But um, I have, like, the, the better way for me to control myself and to get myself into a better mind state is more to kind of, like, take a step back and look at, like, everything that the person did to me and try to, instead of using my imagination in the way that you're talking about, which I definitely think is valuable for some people, I try to use my imagination to kind of create a scenario where my rage is is way overblown. Because that's usually what it is. Yeah. You know, somebody acting like an asshole to me um, there was a guy who, who acted really shitty to me, blew up on me because I, I said something to him he didn't like. And I was fucking pissed, man. And I, I had that, that thought of like, man, this motherfucker, I ought to kick this dude's ass. <laughs> and instead, I, 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 I really tried to think, and I was furious for like a day and a half afterwards. And I really tried to think, like, you know what? I've talked to this guy a lot. I bet you there's something weird going on in his life that made him act that way. Oh yeah, dude. You know, that's almost not, always he's not some like super case. Yeah, he's not some super good person. He's not like a real upstanding gentleman that's that's earned the right to to you know get a pass in that way. But at the same time, I can I can imagine that there's there's something I'm not seeing, and and so the the whole picture is not available to me. So my anger is probably overblown for the situation. Yeah. And I found out about a week later that his wife was like eight and a half months pregnant. Yeah. So he's freaking out. He's freaking out. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to, and Oh yeah. And at the same time, his dad was severely ill. Mm. So he was going through a lot at that point. Yeah. And I just pushed him over the edge unwittingly. Right. Right. And so I, I think it's important sometimes to use your imagination that positive way and give people the benefit of the doubt. Even if that wasn't the case, I would way rather behave as if, as if it is the case. I'd rather behave yeah. as, if, as if people deserve a little bit of slack from me because usually they do. 
I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather, you know, the the nine times out of ten, they do deserve a little bit of slack for me, and I'd rather give somebody the benefit of the doubt when they don't deserve it that one out of ten times, than fuck up the other nine times and yeah. say something shitty to somebody they didn't deserve. Hundred percent. And just to just to backtrack a second about this, um, like the 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 catharsis idea. Like I, I do kind of want to. I don't want to do that. Well, I also wanna I also wanna dive a little bit more into it. I know it's kind of like a separate thing, but just real real quickly, like there's basically um like three three ish ways in general to deal with a negative emotion. We'll keep it with anger for now, just because that's what we've been talking about. But this could be applied to like any negative emotion. And like, so the first one, which we already mentioned, and that's like repression. So that's like, okay, well, there are all these uh, societal pressures, which are like, don't, you're not allowed to be like that. You're not allowed to be sad. You're not allowed to be angry, whatever it is. You're at work, whatever. You're not allowed to be like that. So, okay, I'm just gonna, and then there's this like, okay, I'm gonna just throw that away and just focus on something else. I'm gonna... Mm -hmm. Smoke a cigarette exist. or like whatever. Just do something to distract oneself from that reality. So that's the basically the worst way to deal with it. Because in that case, you stuff it down and it's it stays in there and it kind of festers. And it's basically a ticking time bomb. And it can get to the point where it's like, okay, now I just kept stuffing this down and eventually it's going to explode. The second way... uh which we've also talked about is like to act it out. Mm -hmm. So Try if you're really a fucking, catharsis, a healthy yeah, release of it. Exactly. So if you're really fucking sad, how about you just let yourself cry? Mm -hmm. When's the last time you did that? That feels really good. It feels mm -hmm. really good to to let that go. Same with anger. If you're super pissed off, have you tried just like swinging on a or pillow or on your screaming. bed? Or screaming, that's another great one. Or both. Those are all... <laughs> both at the same time? Both at the same time. I mean, yeah, of course it's hard like to do that because can you, you know, people are going to look at you weird or whatever. Yeah, you but can't do it on the heavy bag at the gym. You might get... Yeah, well, luckily you can, maybe not the screaming. I mean, you kind of could a little <laughs> bit, but like you can actually, you can, that's a great place to... to exercise that thing of like get angry and just fucking let loose and but the last one because there's a problem with that actually like it's better than the first one but the problem is is that energy is being released so we're mm -hmm. we are losing energy and the third one is to transform the energy into something else and that's really the that's the idea of like really looking in and finding the root cause of like why does this make me so angry or why am i so sad about this what is the feeling and what what of my needs aren't being met basically and 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 then and accepting that and mm -hmm. moving through it and trying to figure out what it is and opening that up and i think that's that's the ideal uh case because then you take that energy you transform it you can transform it into creativity basically yeah you learn more about yourself and you, and you can unlock this thing and then you use it for, for good rather than just like expending it. Yeah, Eknath Warren talks a lot in his books 
um, his like non-translation books, um, the the ones about like meditation practice and stuff. He talks a lot about transforming energy, and he mm. he talks all about he especially talks about anger, um, but he also talks about like unhealthy desire, right? And how you can you can really um, transform all these these impulses into because they're they're all made of the same sort of stuff inside of us and they all draw upon the same reserves and so you can with practice it does take practice and and time and effort but you can you can as you're saying transform that energy and put it to use in in the way that you want right Um, but to uh to get back to our topic yeah, we we went on a couple, couple, couple of uh, sidewinders there. That was fun That's though. Okay. There's like there's it. some interesting interesting connections there. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, imagination when you really think about it. Um, if you if you delve into like especially like Zen philosophy and some of the um, the more esoteric uh, Western philosophies, the thought is that like that's all there is. Your whole perceived world around you is just your brain imagining up a a world based on the stimuli that it's receiving right so you know i think that this this is a topic that you could imagination is a topic that you could take into almost any realm yeah man but specifically today we um and since we we delved into a few of those realms um we wanted to to have a little bit more of a um, of the fun side brought in too, because it is, as we said in the beginning, the stuff that we just talked about. Those are those are not really superfluous. Those no. are like really important. It ended up being like extremely extremely life affirming <laughs> and important. You said we weren't going to be practical today, Hank. God damn it. <laughs> Um, uh. <laughs> but there's, there is a, another side of this that we got into a little bit that is very superfluous and very, um, um, seemingly another one of those childish things like, um, with me, with, with, uh, with Warhammer, I know you, uh, you've heard me rant about it a little bit. It's it can seem very immature for a grown man to be like, and then he fucking had this badass fist that had like just power field around and he punched somebody's head off. It's like, it sounds like somebody fucking, (laughs) you know, it sounds like a kid describing a comic book. Yeah. You're just like, okay, okay, little Billy. That's cool. But, I don't know, man. I just, I think that there is so much value in in letting yourself get into these these things, and and a a huge part of it for I think a lot of people is is the judgment factor, the self judgment. Like they don't mm. let themselves enjoy this stuff, and hilariously, I, I know whenever I was growing up, it was starting to get to the tail end of it, but I mean in the eighties. There was like a huge stigma for nerds. I mean, oh, it was, yeah, it was, that was basically satanic worship. <laughs> yeah, like, like to be like a Trekkie, 
Like, I remember hearing about Trekkies whenever I was a kid, which is Star Trek fans. Yeah. And I, I, whenever I was, I, I just assumed if you were a Trekkie, that was just, uh, that was a really bad thing to be. You did not right. want to be referred to as a Trekkie. Yeah. And then I grew up, and whenever I was in my early 20s, I actually watched Star Trek The Next Generation, and I was like, guess I'm a Trekkie now. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love this stuff. It's great. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I'm not like a full-on Trekkie. I don't go to conventions and stuff, but I, I really enjoyed experiencing that world. Mm. And um, another one that is a little bit more modern that people probably um, – hear about are uh, people who are really into certain video games uh, people who are super into World of Warcraft which gets a little iffy because it you can just get sucked into the video game without any other input yeah but, and I think that's major a majority of the the people who are playing the game because it, yeah, it, it, it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't would... re- require any imagination necessarily no, no. i think that the majority like, of the people are, that are playing those kind of games are actually casuals they're just you know casual gamers yeah but the majority of people who are really into it are probably like that but mm. there's there's another aspect of people who do cosplay of it and they do they read books and they um they're part of communities and they, they write they their own write fan, fan fiction, fiction. yeah yeah that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about can, right. can, in, can be really positive. Like one of these fictional universes, I'm really into Warhammer and Warhammer is like a part of my life in a certain way. I, I, I have the, the little plastic models and I paint them. So it's part of my creative side. I have the, uh, the books that I read. So it's part of this. It's like an entertainment factor and it's this escape factor. Um, and, so I mean, I it would be a tremendous shame if for some reason out of nowhere the company were to just be like, oh yeah, we're not doing Warhammer anymore. It would it would really bum me out. And luckily that that particular company Warhammer is like their flagship product, so there's they're not it's not going anywhere unless that company goes down and they're kicking ass financially right now. So. It's getting a little bit of a resurgence. So fingers crossed it'll be around for me for many years to come. But I would be I would be severely lacking. And before Warhammer, I'd say the thing that I was most into whenever I was a little younger was Star Wars. And I think I talked about this in a previous episode, but um, when George Lucas sold Star Wars to Disney... Disney decided they made a creative decision to um, ret- it's called retconning, which basically means they're deleting parts of the backstory, like parts of the setting. Yeah. And they retconned most of the setting because the Star Wars setting was massive. The The movies um, were a certain chunk of it that was like the the catalyst of it but the extended universe what they called all the books and video games and and different kinds of media it was huge it was enormous and i read tons of star wars books played tons of star wars games was really really into it 
And then Disney came in and they decided that the only canon from before they bought it was the movies. So they retconned the entire extended universe. And that, to me, so it's like a fuck my you to life. all of the big star, like the people yeah. who are really into the Star Wars universe. Yeah, that was the death of Star Wars. It's like, me. oh yeah, by the way, none of that is real. <laughs> yeah, and obviously it wasn't real to begin with, but now right. <laughs> that universe no longer exists to me. Because in my mind, there's a whole like sequence that happens after the the original trilogy, which is like the movies in the middle. You got the prequel trilogy, and then you have the original trilogy that came out, and then you have the new movies that are coming out. Yeah. So from the books and the video games that I read that I read and played, there's a whole timeline that happens after those that original trilogy movies. It happens with Luke Skywalker and Han Solo Dude. and Leia. This it's long so dumb. and and they just got rid of all of it. And so Dude, I had so... all this this canon built up. And so I tried to watch one of the movies and I was fucking confused and it was Dude, it was upsetting to me. It's so dumb because like this is this is a fictional universe. It's a fictional mm-hmm. world and it would be so easy to just say, yeah, this is an alternate timeline. Yeah, they don't have to just, ruin everything. You don't you don't have to t- like just no, we're just going to cross all that out. Like it's so much easier to just be like, yeah, this isn't this is like another way that it could have happened or like this Which is... is what comic books often do. Yeah. They have whole spin-off universes with the same characters. DC does that all the time. Yeah. And that's and actually complains. Yeah, because that's just it's kind of inherent with with this idea of like okay, well, if we're going to if we're going to build a universe, uh, I mean, if there's parallel universes in our reality, like why couldn't there be par- parallel realities yeah. in a fictional reality? Like, come on. Yeah. Um, they could have just given it a side name and just said, yeah, if you guys want to continue on with this storyline, we'll we'll keep it under this product line. Then if you want to write a book or, or make a video game that's based on that universe, you can but we're the movies are going to follow this other timeline that would have been a great i never even thought of that That would have been a great solution yeah instead they just nuked the whole setting i guess it's because they probably they're not going to make any money from those books that are already out yeah Uh, yeah, and like so they don't want to encourage people to like they just want to own everything basically um yeah so i i guess yeah it's funny you you mentioned you know Obviously, Star Wars for a lot of people our age and even older, people just love love Star Wars. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember when I was a kid, I, I came across this this tape, like a literal videotape of <laughs> my mom recording Did you find it in an Indian ruin. <laughs> Basically, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you find it, you know, stuffed away in one of these boxes in, a- in the garage. It was in a sarcophagus. Yes, exactly. I had to I had to fucking decode the Da Vinci Code <laughs> codex thing to fucking open it up and there's a little of the VHS last tape relics of a bygone era. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm playing outside. This is a perfect example. I'm just playing. And then my mom's like, Oh, what what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm playing Star Wars. 
And like, I was just in the Star Wars universe. I was mm-hmm. a fucking Jedi. And so I, I really, uh, I really enjoyed the Star Wars universe, like as well. I didn't, I didn't go super deep into it, but maybe, uh, it could be fun for us to, because when I when I think about this this idea of going into a fictional world and like really um, immersing oneself in a fictional world, because there is something really satisfying about that. And I think always, you know, the most important factor for me is what's called world building. Uh, mm-hmm. This is something that is talked about a lot in like uh, tabletop role playing games. Yeah, because you create the world, uh, but also in any kind of uh, really any any kind of like fantasy or sci fi uh, world building is a, is kind of a a very for me it's like the most important idea to make something immersive. Obviously, the writing has to be good. But the thing is, like, like the and the perfect example that I always think of. Obviously, you have stuff like Lord of the Rings, which is just like immaculate world building. But for me, one of the prime examples is Dune. Oh like yeah, F- Frank Herbert. Th- this is the thing, like, and and people like to poo-poo fictional works and say that there's there's not there it's not valuable, and I completely disagree with that. Like. There's so yeah, pro- many things. Probably pretty obvious after this conversation so far. Yes. First of all, any good story has value outside of that story. Yeah. I- yeah. Any any good story. You have archetypes. You have the hero's journey. You can learn so much through studying just a, just a story, right? Mm-hmm. But good specifically, stories. yeah, good story. But specifically with Dune, like. I was just blown away by Frank Herbert's ability to imagine a fully fleshed out world. Like this isn't just like a couple really cool characters like running around with a with a cardboard background. Like the world what it was it's it was such a deep and meaningful and populated environment that had massive effects on the way that the story turned out you had a whole thought out ecology of this planet of uh arrakis you have crazy uh deep interconnections of political factions and Histories, uh, history, uh, religion. religion there's a whole whole socio-cultural and religious element uh to it and you have oh my god it was just by the way if you amazing if you've never heard of dune listeners if you enjoy oh my god. pretty much any any iteration of sci-fi in the modern era it's it dune is like you can thank dune yeah it's it's like the jazz of sci-fi or something like that or or, or um they're the Beatles of sci-fi. Like everybody took inspiration. <laughs> maybe from blues. Dune. It's like yeah, the maybe blues. blues. Yeah, because because I won't get into it. But um, uh, Dune. Pretty much, uh, there was actually a, a joke that jo- uh, Frank Herbert made back in the day that George Lucas just completely ripped him off, mm. and he didn't like 
he didn't pursue it too much, but um, I, th- I think part of it was because he realized that he basically started a sci- science fiction science fiction revolution. Yeah, and he m- most, if not all, modern science fiction, um, tons of the tropes in it, tons of the. By trope, we mean a theme like a like a sci-fi theme would be a laser gun. Yeah, and and which is another thing can be tracked back to Dune. Um, Sand people. Maybe not the first exact iteration, but many many first iteration science fiction tropes can be traced directly back to Dune. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. Well, first of all, the the Tuscan Raider is like almost a complete ripoff of the the natives of Arrakis yeah. like it's like come on dude you could you couldn't and then of course they did it they did an iteration of that on Star Trek as well uh you have the the fucking uh the sandworms like mm-hmm. you know if if you've seen tremors like that was obviously yeah. completely ripping that off you have the idea of like starships so massive that they're like they're basically entire metrop metropoli like in mm-hmm. a ship and uh the oh yeah another one the the idea of uh like megacorps that are as powerful as governments like that's a huge trope in in science yeah. fiction these days like the megacorps that fucking run everything and they um and then yeah not to mention it, going back to world building for a second there's a whole like economic system and market and uh, like oh my god there's also fantastic. extensive men- mention of uh of like psychotropic drugs yeah but the, that's actually the main the spice melange yeah super interesting because apparently uh frank herbert was uh experimenting with lsd at the time i'm not don't quote massive, me on this mushrooms too uh but he was uh, yeah i mean if you read Big the book fan. you'll 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 of kind of get get it but he he was exploring different psychedelics and that was another thing to me about about that book that that was so amazing was like how much he went into the mental realm and that's why i mean i, I guess i'm like there's no way you could you could pull that off in a movie. I, I know they're making a movie. I hope oh, it's man. good, but like, there's Dude. no way that you could capture even, even like, and you know, most of that book is going on up here. Honestly, like, I think that first of all, I don't know how they're gonna fit Dune into a single movie and not make it into at oh. least like a trilogy. Dune yeah. is is huge. It's it's a it's a thick book, but. Yeah, I'm <laughs> the classic, the, the little meme, the concern meme. That's how I yeah. feel when I hear that they're making another Dune movie. Yeah. Oh man. Are there Large are there concern. any other? Um, there there's one other one that I'd like to mention. Um, in terms of world building, that's that I thought was spectacular. Actually, two. There's the three body problem trilogy which is cool. another science fiction. I was Very completely cool. blown away by that. Those are, I mean, up there with Dune for me, like top top three best science fiction of all time in my, in my 
Estimation. Three body problem is also especially cool because it it takes place in the context of Earth and modern culture. And yeah. it also has some history in there. So it's it's, it's very, philosophical, it's yeah, historical, it's very it's amazing. Yeah. And you get to feel extra fancy because it's translated from Chinese. Oh, it's amazing. So. I would if I had to yeah, amazing. I can't recommend that's that trilogy enough. Perhaps the, we could do a library on that one day. I'm super down. That there's so much to talk I'd about with, with that. that. Yeah. Um the other one, Name of the Wind. This is another mm, yeah, like we've been talking about this one for a while. This low, one sounds cool. This is another like fantasy series, kind of like low fantasy. So it's not like there's fucking dragons and ogres flying around everywhere, mm. but like magic is a thing, but it's not it's Game not Game of Thrones is low fantasy. Yeah, it's like exactly. The, so the fantasy elements are a huge deal. Yes, exactly. And I, I really like that. I, I, I for me, it's it's a lot more. Uh, well, I guess it's easier to keep it exciting when, like, most of the time, like, most people don't even believe in it, or like maybe they know about it, but they're mm-hmm. like, oh, it's I don't know, I, I'm not into that. I'm just like farming and stuff. But th- that was another one where I thought, like, man, just the the depth of the character, especially the main character, but in this case, the depth of the main character and, like, just the world itself and the history and b- building all of that up, it just made it so meaningful. And, oh, man, it makes me sad, like, how much people are shitting on guys like George R.R. R. Martin and... Patrick Rothfuss, who did uh, Name of the Wind, like, oh, you, you don't care about your fans because you're fucking taking your time to try to write a good book. And, like, I, I don't know if you've seen any of that, but people are, like, I've shitting on these guys so much because they're just greedy fucks and they have no idea what it takes to put, like, to write a book, let alone the final book in a fucking seven book series that everybody has hyped up to the point of like just crippling whoever is trying to write it you have literally every theory about what could be and how you know like you yeah, have all I this think george shit. r r martin is a victim of his own success to a degree like like i feel i feel like if they had waited to do the tv series until he was completely done with the series it would have worked out a lot better because yeah, now so there's so much expectation on him and there's it's going to be one of those alternate timelines like the books and the the tv series are slightly different but people hated the ending so now he probably had like a somewhat similar ending in mind now he's got to change the whole ending because people hated the tv ending so much yeah i mean it's it's just a shame that people are so judgmental about this kind of stuff like dude just take it for what it is they 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 gave it their best their best go maybe it didn't end how you wanted it to end but that doesn't mean that it sucks and i saw a lot of hate about the last season and for me it was like yeah it i i wasn't as excited about it as i was earlier in the show but like there for me there was nothing there that was like this is a fucking travesty like i'm, I'm gonna you know like it, it was just like okay well 
I kind of wanted it to end a different way. And that was the main thing that made me like not super excited about it. Mm -hmm. But I was like, you know what? Good for them. Like I was not, I was not expecting that. Uh, And you know, it was all right. Well, I just love that Game of Thrones is the first, actually maybe Lord of the Rings might be, but it's it's one of the first times I've ever seen the the general public embrace um, fantasy like that in a really mm. major way. Yeah, and I think it probably was like that with Lord of the Rings as well. Probably Lord of the Rings was a little bit different because it was a it was like three movies spaced out, whereas Game of Thrones was like a weekly episode thing. So it was a it was right. like a sensation that stuck around for a for like a right. long period of time. Yeah, I remember that was like a that was a thing. I was definitely yeah, one of those thing. people who was like, "Oh shit, New Game episode. of Thrones is coming out on Sunday!" Like, yeah. oh damn. Yeah. Um, I fell oh, off had... around season three or four, and and I, I just didn't have time to keep up with it. And now, towards the end, I'm like, "All right, I'm not, I'm not watching the whole series just to have a disappointing ending. It's too much work. It's like eighty hours." Mm-hmm. Um, but. One thing that I really like about two worlds that you and I are really into, Warhammer and uh, Dungeons and Dragons, um, is they have they have an interesting buffer against the issues that we're talking about that George Lucas and George R. R. Martin and and other um, authors have have fallen prey to, and that is these other a lot of these other words we're talking about. Dune and Star Wars and all these they're created by somebody and that world was the setting for their books or their whatevers, their movies what whatever D&D and Warhammer are settings that were created for a role playing game yeah and so they they weren't designed to revolve around a certain story they were designed to be a setting that stories could arise in yeah which is just amazing i love i love that yeah so there's shitloads of authors that contribute to those two universes yeah and i know i know that warhammer does this i'm pretty sure DD does this too yeah um they have professional writers on the staff of the company that comes out with like the official merch that writes their lore for them. Yeah. And so Warhammer, I've of, of all the books I've read, I've probably read from a dozen different authors that contribute to that universe. And I've read mm-hmm. D and D books too. And they're from different authors. Yeah. And so there's some that aren't so good and there's some that are really good. And usually they're by different authors. Sometimes an author does great in one type of thing from the setting not so good at other things. Um, the, a common thing that in the Warhammer community that people talk about is like, oh, that author doesn't write Space Marines well. Like, they're <laughs> boring. <laughs> they just become these, like, incredibly overpowered, ridiculous, like, cliche heroes. And then, then uh, that other, this other author, he writes Space Marines really well, makes them, like, actual complex characters that, that have, like, you know, more human aspects to them. But then that other author who doesn't write Space Marines, well, maybe he writes regular humans, or maybe he writes from an alien perspective really well. 
So it gives these different creators a lot more space to like do what they're best at and it, and if they if they fuck up it doesn't fuck up the whole setting. Yeah. Um, cuz one of the cool things about D&D is that it's like it's based on on parallel universes. Yes, the realms. So oh, they you have can such have... a cool like lore and way yeah. way of the cosmology of Dungeons yeah. and Dragons is absolutely mind-blowing. And I I got one thing to bring up about that yeah. after. Uh but... unfortunately I haven't I haven't played it very much, but I think it's an amazing system yeah. of the game. <laughs> I've read more lore than actually playing Dungeons and Dragons, but that's the same thing with Warhammer. I've read way more lore and done more like artsy stuff than actually playing the game. But mm. that's what I love about them is that they were created to to play a game and they became they're so cool that they became way more than that game. Mm. And um but with the with the realms, with the parallel universes, there's there's nothing that can happen that can't be basically ignored. Right. So you can have somebody write a really shitty story with a shitty ending. You could have somebody have a whole Game of Thrones with a really bad ending, but that just happened in one realm. That didn't happen in the other realms. So that yeah. you could just ignore that entire storyline and just pretend it doesn't exist and it doesn't affect the rest of the of the setting. Yeah. And in Warhammer, the way they get around that, there's two ways they do it. But the 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 coolest way to me is the concept of unreliable narrators. Hmm. So the thought is that a lot of the, like if you get into something, okay, so this the space marine is just like way too powerful. Like what the fuck is going on here? And say that's a stinker. Well, what the community will typically do Oh, that was that was just imperial propaganda. That was written by a historian who was like trying to overblow the power of the space marine because he he he's trying to, you know, improve morale of the of the citizenry, and he he can't let them Dude. know that they're they're flawed. So there's that's like so a funny really because cool that's concept there. That's like absolutely a something that happens historically. Oh yeah, in modern times all the time like there's so much unreliable narration when it comes to our own history um so, and especially yeah, if you during want to the time something you just say that oh yeah that guy was just bullshitting that didn't actually happen i mean it doesn't dude, affect the setting imagine like you have some scribe during the time of like caligula <laughs> and it's like are you gonna write down that caligula is like a fucking psychopathic murderous maniac or are you gonna be like oh yes Look at all of the good that uh, he is doing, you know? Because it's like, if you write anything bad, you're going to get your fucking head chopped off if you're yeah. lucky. If you're Lord lucky, Caligula you're going to get your head chopped off. masturbates in the corner 18 hours a day <laughs> and spends the other six hours fucking up the empire. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, it's not going to so, go over well when you're no, hired definitely by not. the dude that you're yeah, writing about. Yeah. So, funny enough, like, talking about... Um, these tabletop role-playing games, specifically Dungeons and Dragons, that's the one that I've I've played it a little bit. But that's it's another thing where like the thing that makes that good, and it's so it's so amazing because, uh, but it's again it's the world building in a sense. Like that's a huge yeah. part of what makes it. Uh, that's like, and so so the way that Dungeons and Dragons works for people who've never played is like 
there's basically there's a mechanical system how you decide how certain events in the game goes so you don't just have one guy deciding guy or girl deciding like what's happening you actually let the dice decide what happens a lot of the time but you have what's called a game master who basically creates the the setting for the different players who each manifest in the world as a character and they each try to like inhabit this character's personality as as deeply as possible uh and interact with other players so you uh, and then the game master generally plays all of the like non-player characters so that would be like yeah the king and the servant and like just all the extra people mm-hmm. the game master will play but they also create the setting so they so they they create the background uh from which the other characters like you know that's that's what they interact with and i found that like the difference between having an amazing session and one that was kind of like meh is it's it's all about the world building it's all about the details it's all about because because if you don't have this like the thing with world building is is it it makes it feel like oh this actually matters like there are there are consequences to to my actions and i actually want it to go this way like Mm -hmm. I, i actually care about the person that i'm doing this quest for right so it's not just like okay and then we do a quest and then i get some kind of item and then i'm slightly more powerful and then i get a level you know like that doesn't it's not really fun it's like oh i actually care about demaria or whatever like some random like fairy ragnar must feel really strongly about this considering how his parents died yeah exactly and oh it's and and another thing that's really amazing about it is, you know, we talked about active imagination, but the thing that's so cool with these role-playing games is you actually, you create the world together. So everybody who's yeah. sitting around the table, like, it's so interesting because uh, I, I remember I had, one time I had a really awesome game master who was, he was really, really fucking good. And we had, and I was playing with all my buddies. We had such a fun time around the table but the thing that's so interesting is like when we think back to that time we all remember it fondly Mm -hmm. but most of the memories are not from the physical space that we were in while we were playing they are Mm. of what we were imagining and what we were seeing in our mind's eye while the game was playing itself out so totally the more details that we could give and the more like my approach was like i want to completely enter the psyche of this character that i created and i want to completely unfold and explore the different sub personalities of this like of because it's it's so interesting because in on one aspect it was it's my one of my own sub personalities right or like it's a conglomeration mm-hmm. of different sub personalities that I am con- that on one hand I decide but it's mostly um, discovering through trying to inhabit this this avatar super interesting uh, so many things interesting about that. 
in yeah. terms of the active imagination, the psychological aspects, the interpersonal, uh, the uh, strategic, like it's a fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. There's so much value that you can get out of these things. And, you know, that's not even to approach how unbelievably fun it is. Yeah. To really get into these things. I mean, yeah, especially if you can just let go all of the judgments and like, oh, you know, because a lot of people, they like start to get really into it and then they say something completely ridiculous and then and they get embarrassed. They get embarrassed and then they kind of like close out. But sometimes it works <laughs> out really well where, you know, it's just everybody is in the same place and then yeah. it, it's people hilarious. It's, yeah, it's funny. You start laughing and then, and like, yeah, it's just really, really cool. And, and it's, an, you know, it's, um, I just thought of this now is like, it's an opportunity to experience group flow. Oh yeah. So when you yeah. really get into it with everybody and everybody is, has the intention of, cause you're basically using however many people you're with, like you are using the collective energy of all of those minds to project a, um, an image into and of course it's it's going to be different for everybody but like it's using the collective processing power of all of the different brains to create a a story that they can all believe in and like and live in it's fascinating yeah i love it man me and bo uh we played a game of warhammer and like it was the first time he had played it and after kind of going over the rules you know he's he's in that stage of like oh i'm excited i'm gonna have fun but you know maybe feels a little embarrassed about it and then like a half hour to an hour into it we're like yelling and <laughs> yeah. laughing and jumping around and acting out what's going on and he's just like having the time of his life we're having a great time together we're playing music we're drinking beer it was it was like I don't know, man. It's it's truly, to uh, to risk a pun, it's magical. 100%. It's magical to escape to one of these worlds. And I and Hank both think that if you haven't tried it yet, you ought to try it. And there's a million to choose from. If you want any recommendations, let us know. I personally know tons of fictional sci-fi fantasy and um, another one that we didn't quite touch on in this one that's a it's a great one that I know you and I both love historical fiction yeah historical fiction is another is a whole nother category yeah so, amazing yeah um, but I think that about wraps it up for the day um, you got anything else to add Hank uh, yeah I guess I would just say that so yeah dungeons and dragons for i know that's probably the one that most people are familiar with it's really really fun but it's also it's kind of hard to get into unless you know somebody who can play the game it's it's really yeah. really tough so i would recommend uh, but there's all kinds of other systems that are way more simplified uh, that you can do that it's you can even play like you can pretend like it's Dungeons and Dragons you can be in a world like that but it has a different rule set that makes it a lot easier for people who aren't familiar like then you don't have to I mean there's a crazy amount of 
rules for Dungeons and Dragons. It's very, very in depth. Uh, yeah, Dungeons and, it's, it's, and Dragons and Warhammer would not be my first recommendation for people just getting into uh, their first fantasy realm. Both of yeah, them but have extensive rule sets and, and yeah. it, even more extensive lore to, to pull from. If you try yeah. to jump into D&D lore, um, you're, it's, it's, it's like getting dropped into the middle of the ocean. <laughs> you're just, you can go in any direction to a ridiculous depth and the same goes for Warhammer. Yeah. So yeah, th- there's a couple other other ones that are a little simpler. I think one one is called like Scum and Villainy, I think. Uh I don't know. There's a bunch there's a bunch of different ones uh that that I would recommend because ultimately at, le- at least for me like all of those mechanics and 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 rules can be very fun, but for me the thing that's that's the most valuable is that active imagination and sometimes yeah. all of the statistics and 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 uh like oh well how how long am i moving oh it's 30 meters yeah. okay so i have to run like and just getting yeah. into this like uh that's you know that takes a little bit is, to have a flow yeah in those with those rules like after yes. you kind of get used to them and you don't have to like think about them and look up the, the your reference points for everything. Oh, which die do I roll now? There's like yeah. fifty different. Then you just like yeah, you know, it's like oh yeah, that's a d twenty, a d eleven. You don't have to check the chart. You're like oh yeah, I, I failed that roll. Then it becomes a lot more immersive and and there's a lot more of a flow to it. But it can be a little cumbersome to get down the rule sets for some of these things. Warhammer is the same way. Um, so you know another way to to get into these things is to just check out some lore and and to just um, maybe if you if you have experienced a, a sci-fi universe that you enjoy um, maybe try um, looking into some of the extended universe aspects of it and um, look into See if they have some kind of video game or card game or, or something that you can like participate in a little bit more and use that imagination aspect and be more active in it. Um, and and just I don't know, this uh, get into it. Like let yourself escape into something that is maybe you you think is a little bit more childish or immature to do and and go into it without judgment I second that and uh, yeah I think like you said now that that about does it I think all right all right <laughs> I think Perfect. we We're right at an hour and a half I think we I think we covered most of the introductory ideas into these topics (laughs) next episode we're going to do deep deep dives into warhammer and D &D (laughs) lore. just kidding just kidding that's coming up in a month but all right everybody (laughs) we'll catch you in a week thanks for listening folks all right my lords and ladies my knights of the virtual round table. 
thank you so much for joining us in this special session of Casual Cognition. We hope to see you in a week, and we will be holding you in our hearts and our minds and our imaginations. Until then, bye-bye now. <laughs>